Hey everybody and welcome to episode 84 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. On this episode I'm joined by Prince Midnight. Now before I get into my conversation with Prince Midnight, let me first say it feels good to be back. This is my first regular episode in a good long while. Um, for those who have been following the podcast, I've taken a little bit of a leave over the last few months because I had a kid at the beginning of September. In the meantime, I've been releasing the My Friends of Misery series featuring guest hosts, some of my favorite people to appear on the podcast, and people who have never appeared on the podcast before, uh, but that I have a good relationship with. So thank you to all the guest hosts who came in and stepped up and filled in for me. Greatly appreciated. I have made a couple appearances. I did a live stream in November with Beatallica to celebrate the release of their new album. And most recently, I was joined by frequent guests and one of my favorite people, to be on the podcast, Mr. Richard S. He, to celebrate the four-year anniversary of Metallica. So I decided might as well continue the four-year celebration. Plus, you know, Metallica is turning 40. I'm releasing this episode just after the concerts happened. So hopefully you listen to this on your way back from San Francisco. I myself was unable to make the trip, unfortunately. Hopefully I'll be there for years 45 50 55 so on so forth um but i hope you enjoy the show i have no information about the shows because i'm recording this before the shows happen but uh i look forward to tuning in and seeing what all of it is about now with that said feels good to be back and i had no clue what to expect from this interview with prince midnight um you know when you google him online you see a lot of information uh, I listened to uh, a previous podcast appearance from him back in the day on Last Podcast on the Left, one of my favorite podcasts out there. And he, I, so I, I, and it left me with more questions and answers in a way. I had no clue if I was going to be interviewing a character, if how much of this was sincere. And I, all I can say is this. He came across as a real, genuine person. I, I, and he was great to speak to. He is a sincere person, uh, a serious metalhead, and a legit fan of Metallica. I have nothing but great things to say about him. It was a true pleasure having him on and talk about his music, his art, which is very, very interesting. And the reason why he's on this here podcast, because besides being a Metallica fan, he is the man behind the viral Lars Ulrich sculpture that doubles as the toilet. Yes, the Lars Ulrich toilet that has gone viral. This is the man who made the toilet. And we go into great detail about said toilet. Um, That's not something I ever thought I'd be recording a podcast about. Again, I had no clue what to expect going into this interview. But it was really, really good. It was very interesting. And I think all of you out there in Metallicast Militia will really enjoy it. So here's my conversation with artist, musician, extraordinaire, Mr. Prince Midnight.
My guest today is an artist and musician who has gone viral a couple times now. Uh, first, he went viral for creating a guitar from his uncle's skeleton. And most recently, and the reason he is on this here podcast, he has gone viral for creating a sculpture that doubles as a toilet, that sculpture of none other than Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich. Please welcome to Metallicast, Prince Midnight. How are you, Prince? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. So what's the what's the Prince Midnight story? Let's start at the beginning. How did Prince Midnight come to be? How do we get into art and tackling these, uh, I guess you could call it unconventional um, art projects, so to speak, and of course your music as well? Um, yeah, so I guess it all started, I, I, I lived in Tampa for a really long time and I was part of the music scene here and I moved away from Tampa and, uh, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, deeply involved in the music scene, but, uh, you kind of, these people become your second family that you see at shows and play music with. And I got really depressed and really lonely. It was really the darkest time of my life, honestly. And um, my wife bought me, uh, as strange as this is, I got really into like 50s exotica music, which is like this kind of like (laughs) tropical jazz music. Sounds crazy. But uh, my wife bought me a xylophone and a a marimba and I started playing it. Then I bought a vibraphone, and I got super into vibraphone. Stop hmm. me if you have me. Stop me if you want. Um, and no, keep going. And I was always really into heavy metal and like extreme, all kinds of extreme music from like you know punk, hardcore, metal, and then into like you know grindcore, black metal, all the kind of like subgenres. And so. Sure. I'm playing this like jazz instrument, but I come from that background. So I'm like, has anyone ever used this in a heavy metal band? And I, I, for the life of me, could not find anyone. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to try it. So I started writing um, music and it came out kind of like, there was no real benchmark, but I, you know, so people say it came out like, uh, orchestral black metal or whatever i I don't even i don't really think it sounds like black metal very much but uh you know what whatever it's it's like heavy metal with vibraphone in it i guess (laughs) which does not really describe much because i'm not sure that existed before (laughs) heavy metal with vibraphone but no that's exactly what it is i i was able to check out uh some of the songs and you know it it it, it, the best way I can describe it is sort of like this dark mood. The vibraphone's kind of like the main instrument, and then with bursts of like black metal and grindcore kind of sprinkled throughout is the best way I could describe it to a listener. But you really have to, I think, hear it for yourself. Yeah, I think that's a good description. And man, it's like exactly what I wanted. So if like someone doesn't like it, it's like, okay, cool. I, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that like, it, I, I like had a vision for it and I did it and it's in the universe and great. If, if someone likes it, cool. If you don't, cool. There's 10 billion other records that come out of here to listen to, right? 
Right, exactly. And especially in this day and age where music is so accessible, some might even say, you know, disposable in a way because it's everywhere. And uh, for lack of a better term, it's free, right? You pay a monthly fee for Apple Music or Spotify or whatever else, or you can go on YouTube and stream things or whatever so i mean it, it there's plenty of options out there and but i say that too because your album is uh, is available on all stream platforms right now it it is if you have a subscription to something check it out it's risk-free and, and it's it's very interesting it's a very interesting listen thanks man i really appreciate it and uh yeah, if one person likes it great you know so uh yes yeah, so. and what's the and what's the end goal with the music for you? Is it is it more, do you like the writing and recording of it? Is this something you want to bring out on the road one day? Are, are you interested in doing, uh, you know, live shows or? Yeah, so we played a live show. It was really fun. It was like had a lot of theatrical elements. There was some acting, some, uh, dr- you know, dramatic acting and stuff. We kind of just wanted to do something a little different. So that was fun. Um, honestly, I like writing and recording more than I like playing shows. Even, you know, if you saw the amount of effort I put into the show, you'd probably think otherwise. But <laughs> really, really, it's it really, you know, I kind of write and record music very, um, in a very free spirited way. I kind of just like, I play, uh, I don't like, I'm not methodical about it. I, I write like a bass line then i play vibraphone over it i i don't know music theory i kind of just play by ear and so it's Mm -hmm. very natural but then when to show that to a band and practice it you know that's like a lot that's a whole different thing that you know that that takes months it's hard work it's organizing like a group of people so i mean i'm i feel incredibly blessed to play music with the people i do but you know, it, it is a, it's a tremendous amount of work to get that machine moving, you know? Sure. And you have a regular lineup of guys now that you're jamming with. Yeah. So that first record I wrote, um, mostly myself, but the drummer, his name's his name's Chris. He's like, uh, you know, if anyone listens to like more like extreme metal stuff, he, he played in a band called cell graft and they were like a decibel magazine, like, top 25 grindcore bands of the decade or something so i mean so there so he was like a really well-respected drummer and he's super good and um in that you know niche genre um Mm -hmm. so i did that with him and then for the and then there's some like i play the bass guitar and vibraphone on that record and then i had like a session violin player um and he's in brazil and i got a good relationship with him but playing live i didn't really want to like do a a violin so i got my friend rhett played guitar so he kind of like he did not play the violin parts he wrote totally different parts the only thing i told Hmm. him is like don't play what the guitar is playing don't play with the or don't play with the bass is playing don't play with the vibraphone is playing just play like you know, think of it as like jazz, write your own thing and that fits the same key, you know? Yeah, so, some kind of counter melody or what have you. Yeah, and he's awesome and it turned out great. So I'm lucky to have him him aboard. So yeah, so that's fun. And I'm like kind of writing new new stuff. We'll probably do you know, write it at another record. So, you know, that's 
So that's all going good, man. So just having fun uh, playing and writing awesome. music, I guess. So where do the other art projects fit into this? Like, what was your first? Was, was did music come first, or did the other art come first? So the music, more... the music for this for sure came first. It came, it went vibraphone. I, it went well. First, it went marimba, and I played that for a very brief amount of time. And I'm like, I need to upgrade vibraphone. So I went vibraphone. I wrote a record. Um, I, I wrote a record with actually a pretty well known guitar player. Um, this is in like 2019. Her name, um, their name is Sue Lynn Haga. She plays guitar for the punk band Propagandi. Have you ever heard of Propagandi? It sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, they're like, you know, they were on um, uh, Fat Records, like No Effects, Mike Fat, Fat Mike's record label. I mean, they're a pretty big band. They probably play like five, ten thousand people a night. So right. I started writing with her, and we wrote uh, um, a bunch of like punk, exotica kind of songs, and that um, that's kind of still in in the process. I tend to drag on here, man, so I'll try to cut to the point here. So uh, <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> so I started writing all this music, and then since that project was taking a little long to come to fruition, I um, I started writing this heavy metal stuff. I wrote the record, put up, paid for the vinyl and everything, um, got it, and then I got this this whole thing with like my uncle's remains getting repatriated happened, and... So that was kind of like not intended to be, it's not like a publicity stunt. Cause I think I sold like 50 records. So it's not like I made any money or anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the skeleton was repatriated from Greece and the guy who's the bass player of the band. Now he um, is a guitar builder, kind of like a well-known guitar builder. And I, I was always, you know, I'm always trying to think of like, you know, I play in bands cause I like the, I like making music, but I also like the relationship that you have when you do something creative with someone else. Um, And so I I was like, let's make a guitar together. Let's make a guitar out of my uncle's skeleton. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a little out there. So I thought he'd be into it. And he got really, uh, he kind of got really skeeved out. He had kind of a real, like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm like come on man like it's my uncle it's i own the skeleton like he's he so he was he got he stopped kind of like responding a lot and then finally he called me and he's like man i can't do it uh blah 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 i'm just having like a moral dilemma so i'm like whatever so i just build the thing by myself and I, he gives me some pointers because he he works in like a pretty well-known like custom wood shop like he just built he did the final build for like doyle's guitar from the misfits oh wow yeah. so yeah he's like not a joke he's not a joker uh guitar builder he's a very you probably if you follow doyle or the misfits you've seen the this guitar he just built it has like spikes all over it and you know it looks like a doyle guitar mm-hmm. right i i'm assuming metallica fans listen to this know the misfits because Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Every and every every. Early I'm a big Misfits, Misfits fan myself. Yeah, so. every early Metallica photo, one of them's got a Misfits shirt on. I feel like so. Uh, <laughs> right. And yeah. then they, you know, of course they. I think there's some Misfits covers they recorded and stuff. So. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, yeah. So, so I made that guitar, and I kind of like posted the build as I was making it, 
And then I don't really even know how it happened, but just like one day, like a billion people like liked the photos. So I guess like <laughs> someone famous shared it or someone with some kind of, cause I'm not like a social media guru. This wasn't like a, <laughs> I didn't like organize this like thing. And so then like guitar world magazines calling me and like, you know, their guitar world's like, we want to do an article on the build of this guitar in the next issue. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, how did this happen? Um, so I don't know if you want me to stop there, go on to this, uh, the Lars thing or. So just to clarify the good, you know, when you look up the guitar, which has been dubbed the Skelecaster, either was that dubbed by you or by the, all the media you got from that it. was actually dubbed by this guy alistair who does a podcast okay. called grand national champions and he or championships or something I, i'm he's gonna hate me for saying it wrong but he was <laughs> supposed to play guitar on the record and i kind of gave him the same spiel as i did Rhett, like you got to play something that's yeah. not the bass or vibe and he was just like man i just He's like, this is just too weird, dude. I can't. He, it seemed like he just, <laughs> he just couldn't really vibe with it for whatever reason. So, um, anyways, I did a podcast, and he. This is a long answer to this. It's a very simple question. He 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 was just like, <laughs> You're fine. he's like, hey, you use the Telecaster, and I'm like, yeah. He's like, how about the Skelecaster? And I'm like, that's a pretty good <laughs> pun. So I called it then the yeah. you know the Philip Skelecaster. It's it's definitely catchy, and uh, but th but this is a real thing. This is not like a gimmick hoax. This is something you you went in and you did it. Yeah, it like is it. a guitar made out of a skeleton. That, that that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I brought it to the show, and some guy who there was some guy who had like some independent guitar builder guy. I forget his guitar company. He, he yeah. also was a, he worked in like a famous wood shop, but he went on his own and he was like, man, I just want to see this thing to see if it was like real or it's just, you know, BS. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, it's real. He, he, he picked it up and played with it. And, uh, you know, it has proper intonation because I really, um, my buddy who's a guitar guy kind of told me like, man, it's gotta have, it's gotta hit these angles these lengths he's like or it won't stay in tune and um i i kind of had a couple fails you know where it would stay in tune for like right. a minute and then kind of go out of tune and i was like man i really want this thing to be like work you know so i mm -hmm. eventually i eventually got it down so all right so that's sort of the first time you go viral apparently completely by accident still impressive um, and now, most recently, with uh, the Lars Ulrich toilet, which uh, I got to admit was not something I ex I never expected to say those words in that order on this podcast. Um, so I, I, I need to know the full story behind this, the why, the how, the what, the, the everything. All right. So, so I... You know, like anyone, you know, you get kind of into these, you know, you follow like a Reddit, a Reddit group or you follow a Facebook group or some weird like niche thing. Um, sure. You know, and I followed this group called Toilets with a Threatening Aura, which sounds totally, <laughs> totally stupid. 
<laughs> but it, it's it was really inspired. I mean, I'm I'm really I'm not I'm I'm being serious. So, like, uh, no, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't laugh, but I'm just I don't want it to seem like it's a goof. <laughs> so I I really right. followed this for like, I mean, yeah, sure. Some of the pictures are just funny, but like, what is it about that photos of of these unusual bathroom setups and unusual toilets that's like so compelling that like tens of thousands of people follow it like there's something there right so uh you know i started like you know thinking man i'd really like to build like a toilet that's kind of um taps into this archetype of these toilets and so i decided i want to build like a figural toilet that's kind of uh a util- like a utilitarian sculpture more because I have a little bit of an art background in college and stuff. So I, 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 you know, I studied like the, the Bauhaus school and, you know, they did use the, like a lot of art in utilitarian uh, ways. So anyways, not to get like highbrow on you or anything about a large toilet, <laughs> but so I have an appreciation for kind of, you know, using, something you use every day and trying to create something that's like compelling and that's like a, it's almost like a challenge you know like think of something you use every day and create a a, a compelling version of it that you know sure. a lot of people will respond to and i you know i guess i i guess i did that so i wanted to do a figural toilet <laughs> and i wanted to do um somewhat well known so i kind of was just thinking about who I could do, you know, if I did someone that was like no one knew or was like real, you know, like an underground musician, it, you know, I don't know that it would have had had any kind of like impact. Um, right. So I I went back to some of my earliest inspirations, Metallica, and then I'm like, who am I going to do? Like, what member am I going to do? Cliff? Am I going to do James Kirk? And I'm like, well. Lars is sitting already when he's playing in every picture. So I'm like, it just kind of was like kind of nat, kind of like a natural pick. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, people immediately, Lars gets a lot of grief, of course, but, um, like that. And so people assume like I was just trying to like troll like Lars or Metallica, which really was Mm -hmm. not the goal at all. Um, really true truly and honestly not the goal to like raz lars and just it just kind of that's just the way the project went and metallica was like the first band i was ever into i think i like the first tape i ever had was like beach boys but like i stole it from my mom and i you know it was i kind of just you know whatever i i didn't really listen to it very much and i think i taped like a fat boys song on the radio and listened to it over and over one time but like right. like when i saw pushead shirts for the first time like pushead metallica shirts and this is yeah. like really early 90s like maybe like 89 90 i was like this is i'm this is what i'm in this is cool <laughs> i'm like i'm into this sure yeah so then i bought you know i think i got injustice for all was the first thing um, and then, you know, I got the black album. I was super, super into the black album. And, uh, and then, you know, of course I got, I went to the back catalog people, you know, then you meet an older guy and he's like, man, you got to kill them all. You got to listen to kill them all this new stuff. So then, 
you're gonna kill them all and then you get to the even cooler guy who's like man kill them all it's too commercial man you got to get like no life to leather you got to get the demos and (laughs) you got to get garage days revisited and all this stuff and so then you know and then you get into their old covers and so then it gets it's funny we mentioned the misfits before because then there was a cover of the anti-nowhere league you know are you familiar with the song i'm talking about yep so me and my buddy are listening to this anti-nowhere league cover called so what by metallica you know we're like playing it really quiet so our parents can't hear it because it's like a completely vulgar song (laughs) and uh i'm like what kind of music is this so then i'm like okay these dudes are like metallic heavy metal but they have these roots in like hardcore and like punk music so I kind of went, that kind of led me down like the rabbit hole of getting into underground music, really. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, well, a couple of things. When I first saw the picture of the Lars toilet, I was curious at first if it was a dig or a tribute. Because <laughs> it could have gone either way, I feel like, depending on uh, the the source, you know. Uh, but to tie in with what you were saying, uh, I I agree with you in the sense that Metallica is like this gateway band. And I, I've said it before on the podcast, I, I discovered so much, so many great bands and so much great music from being a fan of theirs, especially when it came to uh, the cover songs. Like I, that, the you know, to mention the Misfits again, I heard their Misfits cover before I ever heard the Misfits original. And, and so that was like my gateway into them and to so many other bands, Diamond Head and Motorhead and uh, and so on and so forth. And a, a similar story. Uh, so I remember being a young lad and uh, I, I, I wanted a, uh, a Metallica concert video uh, for Christmas. So my mother bought it on VHS. And uh, but she needed to preview it before she came <laughs> to her young son, and uh, the first song on it was "So Fucking What." <laughs> so, which is like the uh, most uh, vulgar song they've probably ever played, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hands down. Like if if there's a swear, it's in it. Uh, it's sexual. It's violent. It's everything uh, that a teenager loves, but everything a mother hates. And uh, 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 long story short, I did get the video still, so it didn't, it didn't, uh, it, it didn't scare her too much. I guess it, I guess it balanced out, you know, when it once it got to the Inter Sandman's, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that's my uh, that's my so what story. <laughs> that's funny, man. Yeah, my dad like. Um... My dad was like, is still like a totally failed musician. I think he's played guitar since like the fifties and I don't think he can play straight through a song without messing up still. But (laughs) he used to really irritate me because he would like, when uh, he'd hear Metallica, he'd be like, at the end of every line, he goes, rah. And I'm like, so? And he's like, I'm like, you listen to like the freaking, all you listen to is like the who, you know? And he he used to just like, you know, kind of rag on it a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> so I don't know why I thought of that, but that, yeah. So, uh, but he, it's just a generational thing, you know? Yeah. He did take me to, uh, he did take me to 
they, I think they're supposed to do a tour with Alice in Chains around when the Black Album came out. And I don't know if it was mm. like heroin or what, but Alice in Chains bailed on the whole tour. And then yeah, yeah. they toured with, um, they just toured with like a video opener. It was like, I was, oh, right, I yeah. was really it's young. With. Yeah, yeah. When was that? Was that like yeah. 93 or was that like 91? I don't really remember. Um, I think it was, I want to say it was later in the Black Album cycle, like probably like 93 maybe 92 because they toured for like a solid three years off that album um so i i think that was more like 93 if i'm not mistaken well he did take me to that and i we thought we had like crappy tickets i remember and then like the maitre d was like give me those tickets you're in the wrong place and we're like oh man he's gonna put us up in the nosebleed (laughs) and they were like they were like barricade tickets he was like yeah, you have tickets to stand at the barricade, and we're like, "What?" And so, uh, it, you know, it, it was like I—I I remember just it was an unbelievable experience, you know. And I remember, yeah, you know, they're throwing, you know, p- guitar picks constantly and drumsticks, and man, the show was awesome. They were just so cool to the fans and so, uh, you know, endearing. And so, uh, yeah, that was like my first like concert that i was like hey i want to go to a concert this is it and you know i go (laughs) i go to concert and have an awesome time so uh yeah man so uh and then i i've still i'm not like i I haven't seen them like a hundred times like some people but i just saw them when they toured you know several years ago with uh lamb of god um you know it was probably long longer ago than i think because I had a kid, and then when you have a kid, like time moves. Stops. Extremely yeah. <laughs> like, slowly. Like... I have, <laughs> I have two young kids right now, so I've actually, I, I this is my, uh, I, I'm easing back into the podcast now. This was like a once a week thing, and now it's, uh, you know, I did like a live one in November, then I did a live one last week, and this is like my first regular episode I've done in a while. I'm easing back into it because, like you said, once you have kids, like the world stops. And you figure out what the hell you're doing and how you're going to keep this human alive. And so, yeah, I got a two-year-old and a three-month-old right now. So I, I hear you on congrats, that. Congrats. Congrats. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there was, like, it's... when we played in Tampa, there was, like, a bunch of Metallica fans. We just played at the famous heavy metal bar Brass Mug in Tampa. It's, like, we, you know, yeah. one of the death metal uh, tastemakers back in the 90s. And, uh right. There was like a bunch of Metallica fans, and I was so pumped because I'm like, man, I hope like you know, in my back of my head, I'm like, man, because some people like took you know, you know, pictures of my like sculpture and kind of like made goofy memes. So I'm like, I hope no one's like bummed out about this and comes here and is like, oh man, I'm like bummed out. They were totally not. There was like dudes with Metallica shirts outside. <laughs> And they're like, hey, man, we came to take a picture with with the toilet. And I'm like, awesome, man. And we, like, talked about Metallica. And they're like, hey, you know, uh, you know, this is silly, obviously. You know, there's, like, a silly component to it. But, like, hey, man, you made, like, a sculpture of Lars. Like, if nothing, if, you know, don't take away a toilet. It's a life-size sculpture of Lars. Like, yeah, you know, and they're like, so that's cool. And it got a lot of attention. And, like, they're just like, now this thing's, like, I don't know. They had an affinity for it, and they we like took pictures with it and stuff. And they were they were really pumped. And they 
it made me really happy because I was worried that like people would be like bummed out, like I'm like a Metallica fan would be bummed out, like I'm making fun of Metallica, but they totally didn't take it that way. So we, uh, this one dude, like, you know, I, I went in with him, talked to him about it. They asked him about it. And, you know, it was a really, it was a good experience. So. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the picture of it, like I said before, I questioned like what the motive was at first, but I wasn't offended either way as a Metallica fan. I like, I thought it was hilarious and great and impressive no matter the motive behind it. I was just more curious, you know? And then I was also like, wait a minute. I was like, I had no backstory when I first saw it. So I was like, is this like in somebody's house? Like what? That was what in my house. What is going on here? That w- oh, that was in your house. The, the, the picture that like went everywhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that was in my house and my family hated me for like three days. <laughs> so wait, was that, that was actually in your bathroom for yes, um, that was a few days. Yeah. Arguably in my daughter's Are you still- bathroom. <laughs> and i feel like she may have a trauma that she's gonna have to get therapy for no do you mind if i ask how old your daughter is seven okay so yeah she she's like old she enough might be, she, she <laughs> she's like old, old enough to know <laughs> she knows she so she was like i am not using that bathroom and i'm like i respect that she's and then so i was in there for like two days and she i'm like walking down you know in the hallway and she looks at me and she's like <laughs> you got to get that out of here. And I'm like, okay, okay. And she's like, it's too creepy. Every time I walk by, I think someone's in there. So then I had, oh, to, I had to remove it. So I had my neighbor come over. So it's like, I feel so bad for my neighbors. They're so, so nice. <laughs> so they, so I'm like in my backyard for you. Like some people like might think I busted this thing out in like a weekend, man, this took me like, months like probably like three or four months i'm in my backyard with bondo every day putting on a layer of bondo sanding it down and like it's like i I turn our backyard into a body shop basically and my neighbors were so gracious didn't complain then i asked this poor guy hey man will you help me like uninstall this toilet (laughs) and he's like looks at me like He's like someone that's like so so nice that he wouldn't say no because he's just you know wants to be a friendly neighbor and I would do the same yeah. for him if he like asked me to like you know hide a body with him or whatever I you know <laughs> sure. so he comes over and we he comes upstairs and I'm like all right man you grab this leg and I'll grab this leg <laughs> and he we're both like trying to like you know get this thing out of the bathroom and i fall down and it like falls on me and he's just like laughing and like <laughs> then the whole thing we finally get it out and i'm just like man that's got to be the the weirdest thing this guy's ever got us to do is help someone <laughs> uninstall this toilet then my daughter was like you know thank god this thing is out of here so so it's constructed in the backyard and then put in your daughter's bathroom as a functional toilet that just did not get used by it did you use the toilet yeah I yeah i used it because that was even <laughs> close to my room i didn't care so um yeah yes because it totally works uh, and uh right i don't know if she i don't know if she ever used it i don't think she used it <laughs> i was gonna ask her but then i'm like that's probably inappropriate I'll, we'll just leave we'll leave her bathroom habits after this. so uh so, uh, yeah, yeah. So then I uninstalled it and then, you know, the brass mug, man, this place, it, it's funny. Cause you know, I was really nervous. Like, well, 
they let me put this toilet in here. So I like, you know, imagine asking a bar if you can put in a freaking Lars toilet in the place. I was like so nervous. <laughs> right. I'm like, if they, they're like the odds of them say yes, feel very slim. But if they say yes, that would be awesome. So I got to try. Sure. Right. And so I, my, my friend who's a show promoter, he gives me the owner of the bar's number and I call her. She's like, hi, sweetie. You know, what can I do for you? And I'm like, all right, this is kind of crazy. It's like, I've been painting these toilets with enamel and I want to have an art show, but I want to have it like unconventionally, like in the bathroom of a heavy metal bar because they're like heavy metal theme. And she's like, okay, sweetie, like we can, you can do that. That's fine. And uh, I'm like, okay. I'm like, but I got, I got a little bit of a curveball. I have a life-size figural toilet that I want to put in your bathroom and leave it there for, you know, a significant amount of time. He's like, that's fine, sweetie, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, all right, let's just back up and make sure that you're hearing me right. Like, I'm going to put in a toilet that has, like, a full human body, like, as the toilet tank. And she's like, yeah, whatever you want to do, that sounds great. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, she just gave me the wheels to the ship here. Wow. So, uh yeah, so then um, the day of the show, uh, I put this thing. My neighbors are all, all the other neighbors are now like, what is going on in this backyard? So I come out of the backyard <laughs> with this Lars toilet, put it in my, you know, my Hyundai Tucson and drive it to uh, the brass mug. So this is a whole nother story. So do you want to stop me or you want me to tell the story? No, I want, no, keep on going. I, I'm curious how it rode in your car. Did it look like uh, a a large sculpture was just sitting in your car. So it probably from a certain angles looked like I had a nude <laughs> human like hanging out of the back of my car. Cause it wouldn't shut. So I just had the hatch right. open and it, you know, okay. the hatch just kind of, it doesn't like bounce up and down. It just kind of stays open. And so, uh, so I get it there and we go in and I had gone and measured, measured the toilet and the space. And I was like, everything's going to fit. But, you know, with these kind of, like, projects, there's always, like, one thing you forget to do, right? So right. I forgot to measure how the the opening of the stall. And so we, I go and we go with this toilet and we, all, we, we look at this. I got, like, my – I got this one guy who's, like, this huge dude named Kevin. And he's, like, could carry this thing by himself. So he, I got, he's helping me. And um, the drummer, Chris, who I talked about before, he's helped me carry this in. And we all look at each other and go, this isn't going to fit in the stall. There's, there's no way I can go into the door. And I'm like, well, I measured inside the stall and it fits. And they're like, yeah, dummy, like it's got to get in there. And I'm like, yeah, that is pretty dumb that I didn't think of that. And so Kevin is just immediately like, stall's got to go. And I'm like, oh, man, they're going to be so – I was like, I hope this bar doesn't hate me. So he just, he immediately <laughs> just grabs a drill and starts disassembling like the stall. Imagine oh if like God. you're in like a public bathroom and you just right. take the stall part. So he doesn't even ask. <laughs> he just disassembles like the whole stall and starts like putting it like in a closet. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, when this lady shows up, she's going to freaking kill me. And so, uh, so he takes his whole stall uh. out and then we, we, 
so then oh my gosh so then it becomes like there's like there's more drama so we're going to put this thing on this guy comes in the owner's not there yet and this the, there's like a sound guy who's kind of like he's kind of also like the manager of the club his name's rick he's he, i don't know yeah. what his official role is so he comes in and he's like hey man he's like this doesn't have like real plumbing he's like there's just like pvc to it and i'm like well isn't this supposed to be like copper he's like yeah but there's not it's all he's like it's pvc and if you break it we have to turn the water down on this whole strip mall and then we have to close the bar and i'm like are you kidding me dude and he's like yeah and so i look and behind the toilet sure enough there's like p there's like pvc pipes you know normally it's like metal back then it's all pvc And he's like, yeah, we oh broke it once and they had to turn the emergency thing off for like the whole a whole strip mall. And so oh, wow. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so we, we we get this thing in and fortunately we don't break it. We have a little bit of like flooding, but we get it under control. Nothing broke. It was just like, you know, the wax seal that goes on the floor to the bowl. That right. that was a little dicey. And so we lost a couple of. Uh, you know, a couple, couple gallons of water onto the floor. So, <laughs> so we get the thing in and we, we flush it and we're like, all right, man, it's in. And, you know, so then we're, then we're like, then there's little things like, um, there's other little, uh, hiccups. Like we're, there's no toilet paper and we wanted like toilet paper to be in the pictures. And so Kevin, the genius who helped to like remove the stall was like, give me those paper towels. And he has a hacksaw that he used to saw out the stall and he hacksaws mm. these toilet papers, toilet, these paper towels in half. And then it's like exactly the size of a, of a toilet paper <laughs> roll. And so I'm like, this is the kind wow. of ingenuity that, you know, we need in the world. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is amazing. So that's, and it's the, the toilet. That's the story of the installation. So, yeah. So how long is the toilet still at the bar? How long did it stay there for? It stayed there for so it stayed there for a week, and okay. so we kind of like at first, you know, the owner was like, "You can just leave it here forever." And, it, mm. and in my mind, I'm like, "Okay, this is the kind of thing that you sounds sh- easier than taking it's, it out." <laughs> well, it might. It sounds too good to be true because I have. Right. She has not seen this thing. I know what it is, and I mm. realize if there's any maintenance that ever needs to be done to this toilet, which. At the brass yeah. mug, I mean, the things that happen in that stall, I mean... It's likely. <laughs> I don't want to, like, get myself or anyone in trouble, but, I, I mean, there was, like, illicit things going on on, like, Lars's knee, like, that I think used to happen in the stall with the door closed. And I'm just like, hey, caramba. So, uh, I have a bad habit of, like, saying things that it would get someone else in trouble. I don't want to do that. So, uh... <laughs> So anyways, I'm like, that's too good to be true. This, she's going to call me in like, you know, a week and be like, you got to get this thing out of here. So, but she's right. like, keep it there. So I kind of put it in without a, a, a definite time. I'm going to get it out. I'm like, even thinking maybe I'll take it out at the end of the night. And then um, she never, the owner doesn't come that night. And so the, the sound guy slash, you know, manager, he's like, yeah, man, leave it in. There's like a couple shows this week. Like he'll probably be into like, seeing it so i left it there for a week and then uh 
Yeah, and then the owner was like, she was like, hey, you know, uh, there's more shows coming up. You want to leave it in longer? And I was just like, hey, let's just cut our losses. Like, I'll just get, yeah. I'll just come and get the thing. So I, I removed the toilet. And then um, I kind of was having a little bit of a change of heart, kind of like, man, maybe it should stay there. And then she was like, you know, honestly, there was a lot of, you know, people were, kind of putting their number two on it and it was (laughs) becoming like a you know it was like they didn't want to deal with it like like as many people went in there that were like oh cool Lars I want to take a picture someone would like you know give it like a you know you know a mustache an extra surprise (laughs) a little mustache you know yeah yeah so like I got you so she's like you know I, I I'm so glad it was here. I love being part of that whole uh, art show and performance, but I think uh, Lars is going to probably have to find a new home. So we, we didn't revisit it, but, but I have it. And uh, I guess that's like another chapter we got to write. What happens next? Right. I, did I see there was an auction for it? Is that, was that something I imagined or is that not happening or. So I was, so I was, so, I never do anything to like, you know, I feel like when money gets involved, it becomes the motivation for something like it has a certain death that you can't revive it from. So I always hesitate to like, if I was making a record to try to sell, I wouldn't have made a vibraphone heavy metal record. Right. But (laughs) I'm just like, part of me is like, I I should try to recoup some of this money back. Cause I mean, Mm -hmm. you can go to discount auto and look how much of, gallon of fiberglasses i used about <laughs> 10 or 12 of them so you know the thing was not cheap to make and so sure. yeah i was gonna sell it's i think it's i'm not i don't i'm not trying to like plug it but i, I, ha, I think it's on ebay right now but um really i kind of don't even want to sell it uh, uh you know i because if yeah. i sell it where does it end up it ends up in someone's garage so I actually have um, just yesterday reached out to a, like a ton of museums that deal with like pop culture stuff. Oh, cool. So, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, this was, uh, you know, physically substantiates a viral news story. So if if yeah. if a museum is something that um, puts on display things that had some cultural impact, what better way to portray kind of like viral news or whatever, you know, and, and maybe that's something mm-hmm. they'll look back in 10 years on and realize. But um, so I emailed a bunch of art museums like, Hey, I'll donate this. I don't want any money. Um, it'd be cool if, you know, you could preserve this in some way. So we'll see what happens. I just emailed a bunch of places yesterday and, there's like 50,000 museums. I emailed probably like 20. Uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not messaged me back. So I was the curator of uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you know, I'm really interested. Let's set up a call. So I guess it remains to be oh, seen because cool. that, that's what I'd, I'd prefer. I, I really, I really kind of don't care if I sell it. I'd rather it, I'd rather it have like, uh, where you know Metallica fans could like check it out for whatever uh, you know, right? And well, there too, it'll live on for years and perhaps decades, even you know. Whereas 
uh, like you said, if somebody buys it, who knows what happens to it? Does it sit somewhere and rot away? Does it, you know, some get, like get a some get like, a poop mustache. Some <laughs> some knows? like some guy who's like a famous like gamer. I, I don't really yeah. follow like that. You know, like is it called Twitch where you like stream your gaming stuff? Yeah. Yeah, some guy offered me like uh, an an Ethereum or something, which is some kind of cryptocurrency for it. And uh, my buddy was like, "That's like the second best crypto besides Bitcoin." And I'm just like, "This is just becoming so surreal." Like <laughs> selling a large <laughs> toilet for like you know cryptocurrency to like to a video game streamer a video game streamer i'm like <laughs> what am i in like tron like this is just so weird oh yeah uh, so uh yeah so I, I i really hope that uh it goes somewhere that would appreciate it so yeah if anyone here if, i mean and i've always said if like metallica wanted it because i know lars has like a collection of like you know, fan Metallica art and Metallica related mm-hmm. items. I would give it to them, obviously for free. Um, even though they could afford to buy it, I would give the certainly give it to them for free. Heck, if they just wanted to put it in their practice space, you know, whatever, just for a lark, like yeah, sure, call, call mm-hmm. like send me a message. We'll, well, they, we'll we'll mail it there tomorrow. You know, they have their headquarters in California, so they got to have bathrooms in there. I mean. <laughs> I, you know, the, the base, the new, the, I say new, he's been in the band for like 10 years or whatever, but the, the, yeah. new, the newer ba- Robert, he got kind of caught off guard with an interview. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you saw that someone was interviewed. I did see that. I was going to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure his response was not prepared because <laughs> he seems like he has maybe more of a, a, you know, Lars, I'm sure he personally, you know, if you met him, he probably has a good sense of humor, but like, his public persona is not very like he comes off, you know, pretty stoic a lot of times. And so yeah. I, I'm like, man, if Lars had got a hold of him before this question, he probably would have had a very different response. But <laughs> Robert was like, this is awesome. I want this toilet. How do I get it? Send it to me. I, he was very, uh, he was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And, and uh, and so, uh, but, uh, you know, I tagged him in a post. I was like, hey, man, it's on the next train out of here if you want it. But I didn't get a response. So, you know. I I have a feeling if, especially if one of the band members is aware of it because of an interview, I have a feeling he, and, and, it, and it was such a viral thing. I And I have a feeling that he's very aware that it exists. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that Lars does. I wish you would. I wish I wish he would be in like the, whether he loves it or hates it, you know, it had a Metallica impact, you know? So, uh, right. Yeah. You put, they can put it right next to the Metallica clue board game, you know, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Monopoly and clue and all that. <laughs> well, it's cool to hear you, you know, it, it's, it's cool to hear the story of how it was put together because I, like I said, when I saw the picture, I had, more questions than answers um and, but i uh, i literally i i tweeted something out. i don't know even what i tweeted but i tweeted out like an article to it or a picture of it and i was like i must find out who did this and have the, the podcast 
because I, I was like, this sounds like a, a, a fascinating story. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on Metallicast and, and talking about the Lars toilet, which, again, is not a subject I thought would come up on this podcast, but it did it. I'm glad it did because this was a, a really interesting story, and I'm glad to hear, too, that it came from, you know, first and foremost, you being a fan. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And I'm not like, you know, I'm not I, – I get it. There's a – you know, an absurdist aspect to it. Um, so, you know, I'm not suggesting that this is like, you know, Van Gogh's Starry Night or anything. <laughs> but, you know, like I appreciate a lot of um, artists who uh, use absurdism. And I, there's a, a famous artist, Marcel Duchamp, who kind of uh, started conceptual art. And his most famous piece is called Fountain, which is a toilet which in France, like during the Dada art movement, he submitted to an art show and the art show's rules were like, we cannot like decline any pieces. And so they had to accept it was just a urinal and he he called it fountain. And it kind of like sent a ripple through like the art world because it was the first time that someone was like, now it seems so um, normal to just, to create a ready-made sculpture or just use kind of a, an ordinary object and the artists kind of assigns meaning to it. That was not, that didn't exist. Um, and so that's kind of the beginning of like conceptual art is Marcel Duchamp's fountain. And so this is in, in some ways like a, an homage to him and, you know, being able to use kind of absurdism and conceptual thought to kind of um, create a piece that has, a, you know, cultural impact. Not to get like super highbrow on you. I'm just kind of giving you some yeah. some background to it. No, that's interesting. When I, I meant to ask too, um, you know, you talked about with the Skellicaster, how that just was sort of uh, went viral accidentally and you were kind of like, Wait, wait, what's going on here? It, was it similar with the with the sculpture, or was that just something that kind of blew up, or was that something that uh, you were kind of you at this point after the last time you kind of knew how to orchestrate it, get the word out a little bit more? This one, not not that you could ever predict what goes viral. Yeah, but. yeah. So this one was. You're right. It was different. So um, the other one, I kind of had no idea. This one, when kind of, um, uh, you know, through my storytelling, you kind of gather these things don't come out of nowhere. It's kind of multiple. I always tell my daughter, if you want to do something unique, come up with a couple, think of a couple different things that you're passionate about. And if you can combine them in a unique way, um, people who are also passionate about that things will take notice that you've that you've done that and so you know it was kind of uh, I took some different things that I had been passionate about for a long time until I guess that when I built that I I did have a feeling like this is really cool and then when it was starting to get done I was like you know I sculpted the face and man I spent you know not many people made fun of my sculpting so I guess I did okay so, but I mean, I went to, I printed out Lars's face and I measured like 
how far between the eyes, how how wide the whips oh, are. Yeah. Like I tried to do, like I looked at this, like you know, looked in some sculpting books. I really made a anyone who makes fun of it. I'm like, man, I made an extremely earnest effort to do the best I can. <laughs> if I failed, that's fine. But I, man, I tried. So uh, when I was done, out when I after I painted it. Then I had some friends started to come over and they were like, man, this looks freaking really good. And I'm like, thank God, because I've spent like a thousand dollars in like four months on this thing. So, so anyway, so the, I guess that's the long the short version of that is that the skeleton guitar was kind of just um, a labor of love. It was an homage to Philip and. You know, that was kind of a more personal thing. And this was more like I'm creating like a sculpture I want to share with the world kind of thing, you know. Right. So di- di- sure. different motivations, I guess, between the two. And do you have do you know what's next for you in terms of is there another big project you have lined up that you would like to do or still undecided? You know, <sighs> I, I, you know, I always say I just follow the spirit kind of where it guides me. And so, you know, are there things that are, you know, I've kind of acquired, you know, I acquire things and get into things. My, I have a buddy who owns the famous Gibsonton World of Wonder sideshow. You know, Mm -hmm. it's Gibsonton is like the carny like mecca. Um, and so, uh, some of the old timers passed and my friend has, uh, gotten the sideshow. And so he had all these stage magic things like the, you know, like the saw the lady in half boxes and like the thing where you throw oh, knives cool. at people and like, mm-hmm. you know, metamorphosis cabinets, all this crazy stuff. And he's like, man, you should come and check this stuff out. So I went down there and I bought a bunch of this stuff. And so I've been like practicing like these stage magic tricks. So I I don't know if I'll dive deeper into magic and like uh, stage illusions and stuff, but that's something I guess that's kind of interesting to me. I've record, I've incorporated a little bit of that into my stage show, but you know, I don't know. So you you asked, that's kind of the, I I think I I just cleaned up this room where I cleaned up the room where I was working on all this stuff. My wife came in today and was like, thank the Lord. This has looked like a demilitarized zone for like a year. So, um, yeah. So can I just say too, I don't need to meet your wife to know that she's one hell of a woman to put up with the Lars Ulrich toilet in your daughter's bathroom. Man, the Lars Ulrich toilet was in our guest room when I was sculpting it for months until I got the fiberglass. I was like, I promise it'll be out of here when I start doing glass. I was like, I, I, it can't be in here. So she's like, Oh my God, uh, this. So, uh, yeah, she's, she is a saint. So she puts up with quite a bit. And, uh, so yeah, yeah. So it's good to have like a partner that's uh, supportive of, uh, whatever you get into. Right. Absolutely. So I'll I'll end with this question. Do you have a favorite Metallica song or album? Oh gosh, man. Favorite album. Uh, so the Black Album was the first one that I got really deep into and kind of was a uh, you know the gateway to a lot of other stuff. So yeah. um I kind of I don't really lean into the ballads as, as much, though I, I appreciate them being there because it makes it so it's not a boring album to listen to. 
Um, sure. That al- album just has like, uh, I mentioned that, you know, I've always read that Lars was very instrumental in kind of like orchestrating the flow of that whole record, how, you know, where it starts, where it goes, where it ends. And it was, it was right. not just willy nilly. It, it, like, it wasn't like, Usually, you know, when I've written a record, you write this record and then afterwards, it's like an afterthought, like, oh, let's put the songs in this order. I think like from the beginning, like it was, I want to take the listener on like a ride through this album. And that's really cool. So anyways, so Blackened is a song I really like. And it kind of, it kind of is, you know, a bit of a thrash metal song, like kind of like older stuff, but it's on the record that I really like. Uh, so that's what, that's what I'll go with, but yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't really have, uh, you know, the, so what cover God, that's so, I know it sounds stupid, but like that is so ingrained <laughs> in my mind. Cause I can remember the kid's house I was at who had that on a, t- like a bootleg tape and we were listening to it. And, uh, I was so young and it's so vivid in my memory that, uh, you know, they didn't write that song, but it had a big impact on me. So, uh, gosh, you know, you could kind of, you could tell a story about, (laughs) uh, you know, you could tell a story about where you were and how many of those songs affected you. So it's really hard to be like, oh, this is my favorite. You know, it's almost feels like too small of a, feels too small almost to pick a favorite. It's like. I have a story about probably a dozen of them, you know? And, and, you know, that's, what's fun about doing this podcast is you meet it, you know, this weekend they're celebrating their 40th anniversary in San Francisco. And, uh, it, so, I mean, over 40 years, they have obviously a lot of fans that have entered at different parts of their career. So I've talked to people that were there, you know, day one before I was even born. And then people who came in, you know, five years ago (laughs) and so everybody has like their own favorite album their own favorite song their their own personal story around uh songs whether it's a big one or a deep cut or a random cover or what have you you know so that's the fun thing about doing this is just talking a bunch of different people and getting their metallica story so i appreciate you sharing yours and i appreciate you coming on and uh you know talking to us all about your art about your music where can everybody find you on social media and and track down your music um i you know i pretty much just do instagram um so instagram's kind of like i mean i have like a couple other things but they're you know, I don't go on them very much and I'm really bad at social media. I'll very likely drop off the face of the planet here. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm an old fart. So, uh, you know, some people's <laughs> social media is like in their blood. It's just, man, I was yeah. like using dial-ups to call like my neighbor's bulletin board system when I was a kid. So that's, <laughs> that's more of my speed. So Instagram. And then like, there's like a, you know, I'm not trying to hawk stuff, but if people like vinyl records, you know, I, there's some vinyl records. Um, you know, if you just type in like, you know, Prince Midnight Seven Inch, like you probably show up somewhere. Uh, there's like a link I think on the Instagram account. So, uh, yeah, so that's all that's going on. Oh, I got a quick mention: anesthesia pulling teeth as a bass player, right? I mean, oh, you yeah. know, I mean that's like <laughs> probably why I have, why I'm a bass mm-hmm. player. I'm staying next to my uh, Ernie Ball Stingray bass, which is like my second child, and uh, yeah, you know, I probably that's 
probably a reason why uh, I became a bass player, really, and realized that, like, oh, the bass player doesn't just have to, like, play, like, do, 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 you know, you can play, like, crazy stuff, you know, so... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can I can relate to that because I'm a bass player myself, and I remember being in high school, like a freshman in high school, and I'm like, I want to play the guitar. And uh, problem was, I had a friend who played the drums and a friend who played the guitar already, and they wanted to start a band. They're like, we need a bassist. So my friend was like, you're playing bass. And I was like, I don't want to play bass. I want to play guitar. He's like, you're playing bass. So I'm like, all right, I'll give bass a shot. I'll give bass a shot. So I, you know, I kind of started fiddling around with it, and then kind of started taking lessons and then uh, I remember it was when I heard Cliff Burton I was like that's sort of when I kind of even though I was already playing the instrument that's when I sort of embraced the instrument it's like all right this is my instrument yeah people think some people think like bass is like oh you're just it's like an easier guitar it's like no that's not the way to look at it man don't follow the guitar the whole time like do your own it's like create your own you're creating a whole like separate vibe like don't even whenever i say vibe i look over at my vibraphone which is caddy corner to my bass and i'm like (laughs) that wasn't meant to be a pun it's like a pun in my little room here by myself (laughs) (laughs) well cool man well i'll babble on forever about uh metallica or whatever i probably could i'm right some guy one of my buddies that was like in middle school he was like he's like man it's like i remember we were in like seventh grade he's like you were really into metallica already and he's like i came to school with a metallica shirt and you were like dude are you a poser because if you don't <laughs> listen to him man that means you're a poser and he's like no i listen to him and he's like i'd always remember that and i'm like oh i feel so bad i was like I hope i wasn't like bullying you man he's like no no he's like you were just like making sure i was like a real fan and i was so I was like yeah i was like oh, okay well i'm i'm sorry i that I mean, I remember those conversations too. Just you're in that point in your life back then where it's like, that's what's important to me. You know, like <laughs> you, you can, you can listen to the same bands I do as long as you actually like them. You know? Yeah. You got to have like a commit. You got to like be committed to this. Yeah, oh, it's exactly. so crazy. Uh, sorry. I, I keep coming. I keep thinking of like, uh, Metallica anecdotes. I could go on forever, man. So I, uh, it's funny. I just I listen to a lot of hardcore music, and there's a Boston hardcore band called SSD, and um, from like the early '80s, and they mm-hmm. used Posthead artwork for um, for one of their records, and the oh, guitar yeah. player just posted like online the receipt from Posshead, and it was like it was it was like a hundred dollars or something for. <laughs> Like original Puss head art that's on their LP. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, man, what a crazy. That'd be like the craziest interview to, you know, talk to Puss head about how his little, his, he went from like, you know, drawing like septic right. death seven inches to like being yeah. the most recognizable heavy metal artist in history, you know? I know it's crazy. All that, uh, you know, he did all, like you said, he did all those underground bands and in, uh, Hetfield just kind of discovered him. I guess the story goes from his love of skateboarding in the eighties and stuff. And now it's like, you know, he, you know, that whether it's the damage ink artwork or the injustice artwork or the one artwork or like, there's just so many iconic pieces of his that, I mean, I, 
I had so many of his pieces just plastered on my wall. Who owns those? Like, what's that's the deep dive. Like, who owns those originals now? That's that's a great question. I'm not sure how that works. You know, in in their world, if uh, the artist keeps it, if the if the management keeps it, if it's a shared thing, you know, that would be something to find. Yeah, man, you got to do the you got to do the deep dive. I want to know. Yeah, who who has all this? Yeah, because. Yeah, who who knows, man? Did he mail it to them? Does do they have it? Yeah, I wonder. It's <laughs> like it should right, be like yeah. it's like that should be like, you know, I'm talking about my my sculpture being like, oh, so people should be able to visit that. Like, imagine being able to visit all the original um, Pusshead Metallic art. That I feel like that would be more people would go to that than like the freaking Met, you know. <laughs> Now that would be an art exhibit right there. That's Seriously, sure. yeah. I think even people, exhibit, yeah. even people who aren't big Metallica fans could. That's sure. all super recognizable art, even if you don't listen to the music. You've seen all that art. You know? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And it, it's been copied by so many, you know. Yeah, man. Well, well, man. You've had. I've taken so much of your time. I'm very grateful that you are interested in talking to me. I think it's cool that you do. Um, this Metallica podcast because you, you could talk to anyone in the world. You could talk to you could talk to you know anyone in the world's got a Metallica story. You know, with you know in in one way or another. So it's an interesting uh, lens to view the world through. So, well, I appreciate your time as well, and uh, you know, this was a blast. And you know, if you come up with another uh, project down the road, let me know, and I'll love to give it a plug and if uh and if it's metallica themed again you know maybe you want to do a uh something with mr hetfield or something you let me know <laughs> yeah yeah I'd have, yeah I, I, it's definitely been uh, you know a very uh people react to it very strongly so i would obviously do something you know some people are like oh when are you gonna make like a hetfield toy obviously uh, you know, I'm not right. going to do something that's so obvious. You know, if I thought some yeah. something else like kind of matched um, in a different way, certainly. And uh, yeah, for sure, man, I'll hit you up if something uh, starts brewing. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you again, man. Have a good you one. Too. See Bye.
for the record, Prince Midnight knows that Blackened is not on the Black Album. He reached out after the recording on Instagram and realized his mistake. You do not need to reach out to him. You do not need to message me. He knows. I know. I did not want to call him out on it because at the end of the day, who cares uh, about, uh, you know, making a mistake? We make mistakes all the time, and uh, it is what it is. So who cares? I'm just saying that to clear the air. He knows Black and Design the Black Album. Do not bother him on social media about it. But what you should do is follow him on social media. Check out the links in the episode description to do so. If you are interested in his music, check it out risk-free on Apple Music, on Spotify, if you subscribe. And if you like what you hear, throw him a few bucks for the 7-inch. And he can use that money to hopefully fund his next viral art project, whatever that might be. As for Metallicast, give me a follow on social too, at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're new to the podcast, please download, subscribe, leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way into helping the podcast continue to grow on my quest for world domination. Now, as far as the future of the podcast goes in terms of releases, my plan right now, you know, I'm continuing to ease back into this after taking a a step away for family stuff. And first was the live stream November, then the live stream December. Now this surprise episode So I am thinking a realistic schedule for me starting in the new year 2022 will be two episodes a month, one regular episode like this, as well as one live stream. And the goal being that eventually I'll work my way back up to the one a week schedule that I was on. So stay tuned for all updates and info. Again, follow at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for those updates. And a huge shout out before I sign off to bison who provides all the music that you hear in this episode as well as all the more recent metallicast episodes and there are links in the episode description to support bison in their music as well till next time ladies and gentlemen middle up your ass yeah fans not experts